0: One of the issues I think is happening with our youth right now, um, I think we grew up in very similar generations where if you got into a schoolyard fight, you, the fight happened, the teachers watched, and when it got too bad, they pulled you apart, and you learned the rules of social violence, right? This is what happens, they'll kick a guy when he's down, that's inappropriate, a punch isn't that bad, blah, 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 blah. We now live in a generation of zero tolerance, zero, zero tolerance for violence in schools which means people are number one, the kids are terrified of it, they're terrified of physical encounters because zero tolerance policy. Two, they're learning they can't physically defend themselves if they get in trouble. Three, they are are not learning the rules on how to fight properly, which is why I think the escalation of violence is becoming so severe.
1: Welcome to the Close Quarter Dad Podcast. Discussions about raising your kids with confidence, safety, and resilience. I'm your host, Adam Mitchell, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, everybody, I want to welcome you back to this episode of Close Quarter Dad Podcast. And today I have my friend Randy King from 8020 Conflict Management Strategies on with us. Randy was one of the uh, guest speakers at the Child Safety Summit, and if you attended that, then you know that he delivered, uh, along with all the other speakers incredible stuff Uh, you know we talked about his whole circle training we talked about a progression model that he uses uh, with his students when he speaks when he does his work all over the world that is a uh, a, of massive value to anybody regardless of where you are in your training experience what he shared at the summit is something that you can apply uh, all over so if you haven't been uh, if you didn't attend the summit don't worry it is still available you can still get the recordings of it Um, But they are by request because they came down 48 hours uh, after the summit was over. Um, So if you want to get into Randy's message that he shared in the summit, contact me over at CloseQuarterDad.com and we will hook you up. But today, Randy and I are going to be talking about a couple of other topics, and I'm stoked about this because we're going to do a little bit of back and forth here. Um, there's no script going on, it's just two friends in the space uh, sharing some experience, that's what I look forward to, and I really enjoy uh, Randy's conversations, uh, his experience, and the time that we spend together, so hopefully you're going to be able to enjoy that as well. Um, the topic here today is going to be based on, uh, on a former topic that Randy spent a lot of time working on and serving his audience with called Devil's Advocate. And uh, he's rolling a lot of that content and a lot of the uh, the learnings that he had from that into his new podcast that's going to be coming out. And I'm hope he, hoping he's going to share a bit about that called Self-Defense from All Angles. Uh, so, Brandy, welcome back, man. Yeah, so before we... Um, before we started recording, we were having a little bit of a conversation. I think there were some valuable points there that you were making. I'd like you to share with the um, with the audience, and that is about critical thinking uh, when you approach uh, self defense, personal protection, uh, and 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 having some having some ownership of critical thinking and really not just taking what you're told as absolute truth when someone has an expert label attached to them or what they choose to write under their name on LinkedIn, um, but, but actually stepping into that experience or that inquiry that you have with critical thinking. Explain to us where you feel that that's lost, where it needs to be sort of, um, where it needs to be reapplied and restructured in the, in the space of self-defense and personal protection.
0: My level of personal safety is going to look different than the level of my daughter or my wife or somebody who lives in the middle of the Sudan, right? Like, this is where the expert title frustrates me. I hate the word expert. We're working on rebranding in 8020, and you know, you have to say certain things to get into certain markets, right? You have to say expert and black belt, all this dumb stuff, but none of that stuff matters, in my opinion. Uh, number one if your coach can do it and they can't get you to do it who cares what they can do uh and number two is their experience right and their experience is different than your experience like there is no expert in in violence because it's such a multi-headed hydra of problems everybody has fought one head maybe and they know how to beat that head but there's a bunch of different other things right so i dive deeper than I would argue most instructors on this topic because this is my focus, right? I don't teach martial arts classes. I don't, this is what I do full time self defense. And I'm still overwhelmed and inundated by the information. And that circle of what I know to what I don't know just keeps increasing, right? Because it's always shifting and changing. So, why I think critical thinking is so important is that your self defense strategy part of my thing that we talk about the summit, Golets in the Summit, everybody, is uh, your strategy is going to be personal. It's going to be yours because of your problems, the crimes you will be selected for, the environment you live in, the culture you live in. So if you let the term expert shut your brain off, and then you listen to somebody about their expertise, and you assume that will port directly to your needs, you're in a weird spot. So my rally call has been critical thinking. I'm going to say some things. You should challenge me on those things. I will go back and forth with you, and we'll try to figure out what is needed. Because I've been doing this for a long time.
1: You know, I think one of the things I I bump up against as a uh, traditional martial artist. You know, we got to know each other on at, during the summit. Uh, I actually stepped away from sort of the reality-based martial arts and sport fighting and like all of that. I was uh, I was heavily involved in. The reality-based thing—that's really like when that when that name became really popular in the late '90s—and uh, you know, I got—I I just absorbed *Meditations on Violence* when that came out. That was like—that was my language, man. That was like, finally, someone had done this. Um, but really, I, I find it difficult sometimes having this conversation when people batch traditional martial arts uh, as one thing, you know, a traditional, um, like Shaolin Kung Fu, uh, or Aikido or a traditional, um, Filipino arts, those are all radically different. And there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits that someone can get from them. I know that, uh, going into and doing a lot of high level personal protection, uh, training that, was completely non-martial arts based i kind of took a step back and i said hey you know i was kind of taught all this stuff in japan like this stuff and and i i believe randy that a true traditional martial art that has has a pedigree that's been kept in place it had to address specific needs in combat or in in the preservation of someone that they were looking was it was something that was you know i have one tradition that was strictly based on protecting another person. So it's very security based and everything is bringing someone down, but not like, not breaking, like I can go on and on with it. That's not the reason I want to talk about, but like, I wonder sometimes if we fail our audience in putting too much of a name in, in batching everything into traditional martial arts, when sometimes even like the meditative parts, the meditative aspects to some, like Aikido, for example, could actually be what someone needs to keep their easily triggered emotional state more now relaxed, which is going to then lessen the, uh, the risk factor of them otherwise getting into
0: altercations, right? You see where I'm going with this? Right, yeah, I do. I think, so I don't like the term traditional martial arts at all. So one of the benefits, I think one of the coolest things about writing a book is it really helps you sharpen your message because you're going over and over and over again yeah. and connecting stuff. And I'm writing a book right now that's hopefully out in September, but we'll see. Um, I don't, because I can't sh- agree with you more, is traditional art, like boxing's technically traditional, sure. right? Like what does traditional mean? So I separate them into four areas. So I go sport-based arts because I'm I'm, as you've heard in my model, I'm all about the goal. Yeah. If you don't know what the goal of the the training is, then it's pointless. And I really want to put a caveat on here. I'm always speaking to self-defense. That's not me saying like, you can go take an art because you want to learn about the culture and just actually, that's fine. My focus is self-defense. So when I do pick on things, it's because that's my lens. Now, so we go sport arts, combative arts, um, self-defense training. And then I called the last one time capsule arts, not mm. traditional arts. So here's here's why I say that because I can put Muay Thai in any one of those categories, right? If the goal of the Muay Thai is to eliminate somebody so fast by breaking their bones and not letting them move, that's a combatives art. If the goal of the Muay Thai is to win trophies, that's a sport art. If the goal of the Muay Thai is to learn how to control a clinch so you can escape or get recruits, that's a self-defense-based art. If the goal of the Muay Thai is to do the thing the creator of Muay Thai did, that's a time yeah. capsule art. So I don't like the classification of traditional arts because I've seen keto be time capsule. We have to do it the way this guy did it. I've also seen... Uh, drunk biker Akito where they were beating the crap yeah, out of people, sure. right? Like, so I think I think we've limited our, by by putting them in these boxes. we've limited yeah. the terms. What's the goal? Is yeah. the goal to preserve the art? Am I trying to fight like uh, the, I forget the creator of karate's name, but Futukoshi? am I trying to fight like him? Futakoshi, yeah, yeah. So am I trying to be Funakoshi and do everything he did? Then it's a time capsule art. Mm. Am I learning karate to be better? Then it's a sport art. I'm testing myself. Am I learning karate to end a threat as quick as possible? Be the toughest person in the room? Then it's combatives. Am I learning karate to learn to calm myself down and create some techniques to get out there? Then yeah. it's self-defense. Does it? Does this yeah, make sense? Yeah, it makes sense? total
1: sense. And I love the, the the model of those four that you put in there. One of the biggest things that I try to impress, mm-hmm. and even I have uh, I have a... a, a Sort of the primer course that my guys need to go through in close quarter, dad. It's almost like deprogramming them to think that martial arts, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, right. or MMA has anything to do with self defense. Um, it's going to help, it's going to supplement, right. it's going to spotlight per- certain areas. What even, I mean, look, right. I think personally, MMA is just as valuable, if not less valuable, than track and field when it comes to keeping yourself preserved and safe. Sure. Uh, Right. And so, you know, I feel as though I have a program that really kind of separates martial arts and pers- and self-defense and personal protection. It's really under- it's really important, this conversation that we're having, that uh, f- fathers understand this, because there's going to be a lot of times, like you said, mm-hmm. Randy, where your kid's going to go to a Taekwondo class and they're going to think that they're learning something because they're breaking, you know, little itty bitty pine boards and they're going to build this confidence. But if the coaching right. and the instruction doesn't lead them correctly, they're going to end up with a false confidence that's going to be redirected into something that could compromise them uh, physically. However, when I was part of a team back in the 90s that did uh, that was doing exactly what we're talking about here, which was, you know, we were, we were actually doing some dignitary and executive protection training, which has nothing to do with martial arts, as you know, because you've been in that. But one of the guys that was on my team, he was uh, the head of uh, one of the high-altitude mountain warfare training uh, uh, camps for the Army. Forgive me if I titled that wrong, so anybody who comments down below. But he was out of, uh, this gentleman was out of Burlington, Vermont. And it just so happens that he runs a taekwondo school up there. Now, here's one of the baddest dudes you can think of. And he's running a Taekwondo right. and he takes his students to Korea and he's got his instructor over there and he's living that life. So he falls into one of those four that you're talking about. But he can beautifully, I'm, I'm assuming, he can beautifully apply what it is and the lessons and the principles and what it's doing for himself to make himself a better officer in the Army and the work that he does at a very, very right. high level. So that's the stuff that really interests me in this conversation, Randy. You know, And I think it comes down to the right. leadership, right?
0: Yeah, the, it's, goal, goal cannot be stated enough, right? Like, and we can apply this to all areas because martial artists like to make martial arts special and they're not as special yeah. as people think they are. So like, you can apply this to working out, right? Are you working out to get lean right. or build muscle? Like what, you're both working out, but what's the goal of the program? The ultimate way, the way I like to look at systems is it's a triangle that you need to complete in order to get your goal. So number one is the system. Right? What is the system doing? Is it meeting your goals? That's the whole point of my book. Is the goal of the book is to if you read this book, you can take any training anywhere and still have a self defense aspect to it. Right? That's the goal. So you have the system. BJJ is the biggest one right now, so it's the easiest one to talk about. So Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. There's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for uh, certain rule sets. There's MMA BJJ. There's BJJ for street fighting. Eli Knight does BJJ for knife defense. Right. So that's why I don't like calling it traditional or non-traditional. So you have one. You have your one triangle. The next part of the triangle is the student. The student needs to be good, right? They need to do their best. We're going to assume all clients are doing their best. So obviously the last part is the coach. Good system, good student, good coach. And if all those mirror your goals, you're going to achieve what you want to achieve. Coaching matters. Who is running it matters. I've been, again, to karate schools. I'm very blessed. I've been all over the world, lots of different schools. I've been to karate schools where it's time capsule, right? We're doing it this way. This is the original kata. We don't pressure test because it freaks people out, and we're trying to build like centers. Totally fine. That's the goal, and that's what's on the door. I've also been to karate schools who're like, let's make, let's see if karate works against this. Let's bring in a boxer. Let's bring in a blah. And they're pressure testing and, and changing. They're trying to evolve the system, right? So when you are what bothers me most about this is when people say they're doing one thing and the goal of the training mm. is something different. So putting the word self-defense on your gym is a very good way to attract attention. But if you're not actually teaching self-defense strategies or goal sets at all, it, it shouldn't be there. And that's what bugs because the uneducated person, not us, who have been doing this forever. Like you just mentioned, right? Kid goes to take, we'll just use Taekwondo because was example. Goes to take Taekwondo because they want to learn how to defend themselves against bullies. And then they get all the cool things from Taekwondo that isn't necessarily fighting.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm glad. That's a refreshing thing to hear, Randy, because uh, on the other side of the fence, I don't have self-defense on my website. I don't use it in any of my promotions for my dojo. It's not what we're there for. Uh, It's not what we do. Um, Will you be more hardened? Uh, as a result, will you become more, uh, have better situational awareness because of, in Japanese, we call it zanshin, and every kata that we train mm-hmm. is hands-on. We don't do things in the mirror, nothing to, nothing to dismiss karate or taekwondo, right. but everything we do is very hands-on. Um, but there's a de- high degree of awareness going into a form, then you do the technique, and then coming out of the form and even moving a specific distance away from the opponent in a certain angle like all these different things will ultimately create a stack or like a toolkit in the student that's going to help them be able to step into Randy King's class or or Rory Miller or Tony Barr any of those you know any of those people and just move and groove and like get it and understand and that's really that's what I would like that's what I want my students but they're not that like you say that goal is so important we don't want to have a misalignment with that goal, right?
0: Well, that's what—that's why martial arts are getting mm-hmm. a bad rap. Is because the, again, in my opinion, the uh, the instructors, most instructors. I, I love you all, but you're teaching twice a week. I'm not saying quit your job and teach full time. I'm saying that if you're only teaching twice a week, you're probably just doing what you're shown. Yeah. Right. You're doing the thing that you were shown to do in order to make this work. There isn't a lot of critical thinking in that. There's just, that's how we did it, that's how I learned it, now you're gonna learn. Maybe you're refining it, maybe you're changing it. But, when it comes to the evolution of the system, like sometimes it doesn't need to evolve. Like we should always have traditional arts. we should all, traditional, like like I said, time capsule, try to be like this person. But, there's always gonna be auxiliary benefits and that's okay too, right? Like, going to the local Y to learn karate to fight might not be a good idea. But an untrained person comes at you, you pull off a reverse punch, you're probably gonna be okay, right? And this is the other thing that a lot of the RBSD reality-based guys like to talk about is like, every time they give an example, it's always this monstrous nightmare opponent.
1: Those are great points. You know, I've shared quite often. One time early on where I was... I don't want to say I was humbled, but I got I got tapped sure. out by a uh white belt and when I was teaching and I was demonstrating some ground techniques and you know being a lifelong judo guy uh that's you know I, I know how to move on the ground and you know I know there's a lot of people out there that are way better than me and that's fine and and I believe that it's your job to have your students tap you out. They need to get better than you because you know you always want to stay one step ahead in the learning. But you need to get them to a place where they become stronger than you. You know, you're eventually going to get old. You're eventually going to slow down. But you have to you have to shift and pivot, like what it is that you're teaching, and and what it is that you know. I, you know, I believe very strongly in you know a, a student always, teacher sometimes. But when you do have a responsibility, and you're speaking to some of those other instructors out there, and especially to the dads, because you're instructors to your children, our goal is to make mm-hmm. them get better than we are. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I had this one student, um, he had started with me, he'd been with me for a while, and, uh, but he was a world-class yoga instructor. I mean, spent uh, so much time over in India and has been on the cover of Yoga Magazine and all, like just a massive oh, New cool. York City yoga guru and just one of the sweetest, nicest guys. But I got, in, I got him into a position on the ground that what that that was my that was my solid man that was my go to and that dude was able to move and contort his body and get out of it and i was like whoa so uh, this is kind of the you know you have to be able to adapt and you have to be able to understand that it always isn't about that martial art or that technique like what you're talking about that something could come from out of yeah. left field that you just weren't expected for so I want to take a quick break from this episode and share with you the work that we do over at Close Quarter Dad and invite you over to check it out and possibly, uh, if interested, join our community. If you're a father who has a interest in teaching their children how to stay safe, personal protection, loss prevention, meaning uh, how to keep your child found and how they can stay found in a wilderness setting, an urban environment, or even our worst case scenario as parents to even think about an abduction, as well as teaching your children their role in family unit safety. That's what we do over at Close Quarter Dad. And we do it through uh, different programs that we have in teaching and training and membership community. And you're welcome to uh, hop on over there, learn more about it, and hopefully join our community of men who are raising children to be more confident, resilient, and strong. Back to the episode.
0: Well, and I think there's two points I'd like to walk out from what you're saying. So number one, like kind of the overarching thing that we're talking about is, quote-unquote traditional arts aren't useless they're only useless when you put them it's like saying somebody that knows how to who's only spent time swimming is sucks at running right like you're still going to get some benefit out of it being in good shape is going to be in good shape there's going to be auxiliary benefits to it the other thing that i think is so important again from a self-defense point of view is exactly what you said I don't know what deal you or your listeners got, but I got the deal where the longer I live, the slower and weaker I get, not the faster and stronger I get. I don't know if there's another option, but that's what's happening to me. It's, it's not survival the faster, strong, it's the most adaptable, and if you can adapt and change. I can make grandma dangerous in three hours. I can't make her take out, um, you know, uh, John Jones. But I could definitely stop the people that would decide to pick on somebody like that. And this is where the self-defense falls apart. Like you mentioned, is that it's only for the young and the strong in a lot of places. And that's the people that need yeah. it the least. And that what frustrates the most.
1: Yeah, let's deconstruct that even a little bit more. You know, I know that with the sure. traditional arts I, 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 you know, I have my signpost is my teacher and I, I kinda do live that Mr. Miyagi experience and, and I know it sounds really cool. stupidly cliche, but my teacher is a retired lieutenant colonel from the Japanese Defense Forces, and he comes from a long line of, uh, of, of he's a, you know, he's a soldier, and he comes from a long history, and um, he's an old guy, and I want to move like that man when I get to be his age. I mean, he is just, his movement right. and his finesse, uh, his ability to swim and his ability to hit a, hit a target with a bow is just like, it's awe-inspiring. And having that in my life is going to do something to help my youth and help me to stay young. But he's he's oftentimes talk he oftentimes talks about aging and how, you know, different. You need to shift and the, I think whether it's whether it's you know the goal maybe in in self defense isn't so much like in the traditional arts where it's you, it's this constant state of self awareness and you need to be able to recognize Mm -hmm. that like look. You're not young, you're not as flexible, you're not recovering as fast, you may not have the same level of stamina, um, your hands don't move as fast, your eye to hand core, your your flex-reflex right. response is a little more all these different things. So you need to pivot to the use of a sword. Or but not maybe not necessarily a sword, because we're not right. walking around with swords as day and age. I don't do it. But using a, using right. weapons or training with projectiles is gonna help your mind stay youthful. So all these different elements of the art, you know. Uh, can help in so many different ways. But ultimately, I love what you're saying about, uh, you know, that paradigm of self-defense and where its needs are and how they're being met.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing, right? So there's so so much to unpack what you just said there. Like, I think I love that thought process, right? Because this, I'm going through this right now. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm back in a training camp. I'm just playing around with some young MMA guys again, just trying to get my groove back and my style when I was competing and winning was based off of being very quick in and out. Uh, I'm, I'm a heavy guy now. I don't have that skill, so I've had to adapt. And I think one of the best examples for this, especially if you're listeners or sports fans, is Floyd Mayweather. He obviously is not a great person, but when he was Pretty Boy Mayweather, he was power knockout artist, yeah. etc., and as he got older, he became money Mayweather, defensive specialist, starts baiting stuff, right? So even at the sport level, you see these evolutions of people going from what made them successful into something that has to adapt in order to continue being Absolutely. successful. And it's o it's okay to evolve and change like that. And it's okay to look at the world differently. And I've So if you're not teaching them or thinking about ways that they can shut you down, you're not looking at self-defense in the right way. The way I like to tell people when I'm touring and teaching is if what I show, if my daughter can't do it to me, I don't show it to you.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Let's pivot into something uh, that you were uh, talking about on Devil's Advocate here um and that is the cool. topic of soft arts and i almost want to kind of maybe uh open the stage up on the discussion of whether it's a, a, a faith-based kind of discussion where people will be like right. you know i don't do that because of my religious conviction uh you know we can mm-hmm. go gee, he, I mean, that's there's been a lot of books written about what the Bible says about keeping your temple safe. Uh, or, you know, right. the, the, we can go into the different sutras. or We can go in so many different directions with this conversation. But if we really take a big step back mm-hmm. from the canvas here and we look at it, um, when it comes down to self-defense and people's hesitation based on their mm. spiritual place, Sometimes I think, is that a hesitation or is that an excuse? Sure. So what say you there,
0: Randy? It could be one and Mm -hmm. the same, right? Like it's depending how you look at religion. Is religion is about tribes and cultures getting together, which means there has to be some level of, I don't want to say, I'm going to say control, but I don't mean like manipulative control. But there has to be some kind of control in order for the group to work together. They're taking these rules that existed in a much different time and they're using them as the excuse to not defend themselves in a physical space because it was for maintenance of a trusted group. It wasn't for maintenance of outsiders. Mm. Does that track it does. So what I'm saying here is I do think it's excuse and I do think there's a lot of religious control. We had... um. One of the people on Devil's his name was Dag. He's from Norway. And he grew up in a very... I think it's the one you're talking about. He grew up in a Pentecostal group and they were like totally yeah. anti-violence. If you learned to defend yourself, then you were doing the mm. devil's work. That was control. <laughs> that was a bad... That was cult-ish like yeah. behavior. I think in general, like, you know, people like say, not my president. So... Not my Jesus. My Jesus is the guy that flipped the moneylender tables. That's my Jesus, right? He's the guy that's like, no, that's not going on here. You do have a right to defend yourself. But if somebody's trying to squish you, and this is where predatory violence becomes dangerous, and that's 70% of people that know you, if I'm trying to control a youthful, young human, then making violence not an option is a great way for me to maintain control. So not to get too into the rabbit hole here, I think that in some cases it might be an excuse and they're hiding behind their ideology because of fear of not performing, right? And this is one of the issues I think is happening with our youth right now. Um, I think we grew up in very similar generations where if you got into a schoolyard fight, the fight happened, the teachers watched, and when it got too bad, they pulled you apart and you learned the rules of social violence, right? This is what happens, they'll kick a guy when he's down, that's inappropriate, a punch isn't that bad, blah, 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 blah. We now live in a generation of zero tolerance, zero zero tolerance for violence in schools, which means people are, number one, the kids are terrified of it, they're terrified of physical encounters because zero tolerance policy. Two, they're learning they can't physically defend themselves if they get in trouble. Three, they are... <sighs> They are not learning the rules on how to fight properly, which is why I think the escalation of violence is becoming so severe. Yeah. If you don't know what violence is, if you don't know how to, like I'm talking social violence. I'm not talking about like rape and murder and all those horrible things. I'm talking about just like, sometimes you earned a punch in the mouth, right? So you get punched, you learn what it's like, you learn you're not made of glass on the, on the in the elementary school field. You learn there's rules, you learn there's a time to stop, you know what a win looks like, you know what a loss looks like. You learn all those lessons as a kid, then when you have to use violence older, you have those rules in your system. Because they're not learning these rules, these kids are so terrified of violence because of media, because of zero tolerance policies, that they don't take chances. So they're using weapons, they're rolling deep, they have friends, because they're so scared of looking like a punk or they're so scared of underperforming that they have to overperform to make that happen. So I saw this happening in my bouncing career. The older generation, two, three punches, it's over, walk away, still not okay, still assault, but it was never excessive. But as school fights stopped happening, Randy's pet theory, violence started increasing. People didn't know how to control themselves, so they'd overreact, they'd stomp, they'd punch, they'd do whatever. So I think that's one of the things that we have to do as parents is teach our kids the differences between social and a social violence, number one. Number two is... Teach them the rules of violence. You need to know, like, this is what's going to go on. This is the only time you should ever use it. I remember my daughter was called into the principal's office because it's so, it's kind of my fault. It's 100% my fault. She was <laughs> five years old. Randy. And we, and thank you, we used to play a game called takedown. So, what I would do is I would double leg her and put her on the ground and then start ground and pounding her. And she would cover up and start kicking. And then she would get up and run away. That was the game we played. And so she was like grade one. And the kid's like, let's play a game. My daughter's like, do you guys want to play takedown? And they're like, sure. She goes, okay, I'll be my dad. And then she just double legs this kid and starts throwing punches at his head. And the teacher's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So of course we get a phone call. So I go down. So I go down. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, this is what happened. I'm like, oh, no. So we had to explain, number one, these are, you know, games we play as training. But... She didn't hurt the kicks. I never punched my daughter in the head. We just like tapped her, right? But the overwhelming of your daughter tackled somebody and gently touched them on the face. <gasps> oh my gosh, she's the devil. <laughs> or, that, right? So that can. Terrified. That kid is still terrified of my daughter to this day. She lives in a small town. Um, but uh, digressing on it is I had to show her, like, this is what happened. This could happen. You can get here, like, roughing, roughhousing with your kids, showing them stuff, showing them that they can hurt you, showing them that, like, a poke to the daddy's eye feels bad, too. Because, you know, especially when they're little, you're a superhero. And if you can show your kid they can hurt a superhero, they're going to be a lot more confident going through life, right? especially when you're three, four, five times their size.
1: Yeah, I think that there's also something to be said, too, to build on what you're saying, Randy, is the uh, elimination of or the lessening of cause and effect. that Those rules that you're talking right. about are really grounded in cause and effect. If this, then that. Where you know, And you have, you have a younger culture here where so much more is virtualized and to kind of go off of uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman's work in stop teaching our kids to kill each other or kill yeah yeah stop teaching our kids to kill um yeah i'm sure you're probably familiar with the seminal work on killing and on combat uh but yeah you know there's really the the science is in that book about they don't know they they go from they go from like right up that escalation curve like it just it's a it's it's a vertical incline they go from zero to a 100 with because there has been no cause and effect uh, because inside of a virtualized environment like gaming, y- if you run out of ammunition, right. you're you're out of ammunition. You don't get you don't find a, a gold coin floating there. Or if you get hit and you die, you're dead. Like you don't like. I really believe, yeah, and it. I said this on another podcast that I believe that we should start making video games so you purchase a video game, and when your character gets killed, you got to go buy another one. Like you're done. Uh, but. <laughs> I think that there's that. There's a, there's a loss of cause and effect, which speaks to what you're saying about about those rules. When I was a kid in high school, I, um, I ended up at a uh, Dominican abbey, and it was run by monks. And um, we had, I mean, these are monks, right? We're, we're having this discussion, right. and I got into it with this one kid, and I think it was in French class, and this kid wouldn't leave me alone. And I was at that school for different reasons than this kid was. He was there because he was a well-to-do kid. And his family wanted him to go to a nice private school. I was there for a different reason. That involved a court. <laughs> but that's, that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, we, this kid wouldn't leave me alone. And I, uh, I wasn't backing down. And we ended up both getting dragged out of class. And uh, what happened was is this one monk took us behind the hockey rink. And when we got there, there were two old, like, I don't know, 1960s or 1950s leather boxing gloves. And we had to put them on each other. And there was no headshots. Right. But when he said stop, that's when we stopped hitting each other. And we were sitting there just mm-hmm. boom, boom, just beating on each other. And all this monk wanted to do was have a cigarette. So he leaned against the wall and he was an right. old grizzly dude. And he was smoking <laughs> a cigarette. And we just sat there for the entire time of hitting each other. And it wasn't until a little bit later on in life I realized what he was trying to do. He was trying to create a bond between the two of us, that there was this superficial bullshit happening between these two boys based on a pecking order that we were both trying to create or protect our own identity from. And he needed to create a shared enemy, and that was him between the two of us. That way he and I would have a bond. And he did it. Uh, We ended up, I ended up becoming kind of friends with the kid. We never had that issue again. Um, And, but there was certainly like an outcome there that was unexpected. And it created an imprint Mm -hmm. in me that I shared with my kids where, um, you know, and this is what comes to my mind when you're talking about these rules aren't taught. They're not taught. And I thought that was an exemplary way of teaching, like, look. You want to go to violence? You you want to sit here and you want to just you know you want to you want to man up? You want to stick your chest out to each other and you want to create these problems? All right, then put the gloves on and let's do this. I think a lot of that mm. is missing, um, and it's being replaced where in in a, in a space where they don't have that opportunity to have to put gloves on each other while you're staring each other right. down and you're like, oh shit, I'm about to get punched. Like, how do you how yeah. do you feel about that?
0: I I agree with you a hundred percent. I think there's the crucibles that people need to go through Mm, and like without without those, they, they either under or overperform. And I, I use this a lot where like, to me, there's an optimal level of performance in everything, right? Like I'm a public speaker primarily. That's what I do. And there are times where I've timed out a speech and then I get nervous and I speak super fast and I'm done in like 20 minutes when it took an hour and there's times where I haven't had enough caffeine in my head and I can barely get through the presentation, right? So it's under and over performing. We're always looking for optimal. The, the, the creation in your head is almost always worse than the actual event, right? And so, like, this is why I had trouble competing. So there's two types of adrenaline dump. There's slow drip and quick dump, right? I am very good at quick dump, and most people are. When stuff goes crazy, I jump in. That's why I was a very good bouncer because... There was not a lot of lead up to bouncing encounters. Like, oh, they're probably going to fight. Let's walk over there. We're fighting. Where I sucked was the six weeks before a fight for a competition. And for six weeks in my head, like, slow drip adrenaline, nervousness, I'm falling apart. Um, it's find that optimal state. And if you don't test yourself in a safe, a relatively safe environment, like, honestly, without a weapon, in most cases, two elementary kids don't have the energy or strength to kill each other. That's they right. don't. Yeah. So if you're not learning it at that low safety bar, then when it gets to 240 pound man punches 180 pound man in the head, like you just, you don't have any resiliency in that area. And I think that we swing so hard as a culture over here, right? It's like all of this or all of that. And we never like kind of center in the middle. There's gotta be a way, like obviously bullying is bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say pro, I'm not pro bullying here, but if I wasn't bullied, I wouldn't be who I was today either, right? I wouldn't have became better. I wouldn't have done the things I sure. needed to do. So I think, like, when I get that uh, governmental structures and public structures need to have a liability thing in case. And that's, again... That's where it comes to taking care of our own backyard, right? That's where with your kids, like you should play with them and let them wrestle, learn. I'm not saying punch your kid in the head, but I'm saying like play around so they learn that stuff. My daughter's been roughhousing housing. My, my daughter's level of confidence is uh, shockingly strong, but because she grew up in a gym where she was bullying jacked dudes all the time, right? She's like, come on, you don't know nothing. My dad's the boss here, right? Like, So she has like this, this level that a lot of kids just don't have. Because they've never got to find their own power or enforce their own physical boundaries. And then we get these adults who we're working with, who I'm working with in a lot of cases, and they just they don't even think they're worth defending. They don't even think that, like, because they've never, they've never had a battle that they won and then were cheered for. Right? So maybe they did defend themselves, but then they were kicked out of school and their parents were mad at them. And they, so they learn, oh obviously I can never physically defend myself because of this lesson that I got. So I I think like we're getting really into the physical self-defense space here, but I do think there's, this can be fixed, but it's gonna be fixed as parents. It's not gonna be fixed in the system, right? So great example, I'm in Canada. um, So a lot of your culture in the US drips up here, right? Drips up, doesn't really work, comes up here. And so school shootings, right? We've had three in 10 years But of course, we have to do lockdown drills now because they're happening there. Seems ridiculous to me. The culture is different, but whatever, neither here nor there. So my daughter was doing lockdown drills in her school in Hay Lakes, 300 people, probably not going to be a match shooter. So the lockdown drill, I don't want to get too much into it, but I hate 90% of the training. You know, hide in one spot so the shooter gets all you at one time. I don't know, right? Close the door with a chair. Like I can put a gun through a window and shoot, I don't understand the drill. So I told her, be polite, in the training, but in your head, look for a window, look for an escape route. Cause mass shooters looking for mass casualties. If everybody scatters in multiple directions, they're not getting the numbers they want. So I told her, be polite, listen, don't, don't disrupt, but you and your friends, whoever you care about, find that window, find that thing. Cause sitting in a corner and hoping nothing bad happens has never solved anything That's right, yeah. ever. But that's a parental side of things. I don't think the establishments are going to change. They're going to get more risk adverse, I think, which is going to make risk happen more often, unfortunately. So we have to fix it on our end as parents.
1: Yeah, yeah. Agree with all that. Of course. Maybe one thought here, because one of the things I wanted to Mm -hmm. bring in uh, was an experience that I have. And it's it's an observation that I made over 25 years of teaching martial arts. Um, When any group that I work with, Randy, any group, Adults, kids, doesn't make a difference who they are. I can put a uh, shinai, you know what that is, it's a bamboo split sword. It's, you know, the guys in kendo use it, uh, but we use a different one that has a leather sleeve over it because we do a lot of thrusting to the neck and you don't want to get bamboo splinters on you. But, you know, it'll still break some fingers if you get hit with it and it'll still, you know, bust you up pretty good if you get hit with it hard. Um, It's not a gentle training tool by any means. But in my demonstrations, I will stand there and I'll put the sword in the the shinai in your hand. I'll tell you to hold it over your head and just hit me down. Just come straight down and hit me on the head for 25 years. Not a single human being when in, when asking them to do that has been able to do that on the first try. And that has told me something significant uh, about our wiring. Mm -hmm. They will either, go in front of my face. They'll stop over my forehead. They'll come down and then veer to the side. And I know some of the listeners are like, yeah, well, you put it in front of me, put it in my hands and I'll, you know, I'll hit you. No, you won't. Now you're scripted. And that's, the, that's different. Yeah. When I say like, look, okay, the majority of people can't do this, Randy. Here you go, do it to me. Then you're going to be like, bang, right? But yeah, of course. when there's, there's a degree of unexpected, like you don't know what's there. You don't know what the expectation is. You don't know what the outcome is. Every single time, regardless of age or place in life, demographics, socio—it doesn't make a difference. I put that in their hand and I say, "Hit me in the head," and I will even look at the crowd and I'll be like, "Have we ever met before?" No. Have I ever? Did I did I talk to you before this? Did I? You know, just completely random, right? Yeah, totally random. I have no idea. They look at me like I'm a little crazy, but I say, "Hit me in the head," mm-hmm. and they can't do it. A hundred percent of the time. I'm interested to hear your feelings on that where that comes
0: from this. So, so thanks for your respect for my time. I have some time. This is a little bit of a walkout. So if you have time, we can talk about it, but it's, uh, I've seen this in every aspect of fighting when it comes to going from training to a realistic fight, right? The, the general rule in most street fights is if people don't know their power, because everybody's scared, like nobody wants to kill somebody by accident. right? Right. So, they'll hit at about 50% power and then check for effect, right? So same thing, right? Even if you knew me, like, I would never, I would consider it culturally assholish if you said hit me in the head and I just bolted you as hard as I could, (laughs) right? I would, right? I would, I would, like, tap you and be like, yeah, right? (laughs) I don't, like, I would test the waters, right? Is this hard enough? I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to be a jerk about this, right? So yeah culturally we're built to not go full force first time culturally we're built to to check for effect and try and use the the minimum amount of force you think necessary. that's cultural or do you why... think that's
1: something that's evolution based or is it something even more than that
0: you know what i might be evolution based culturally might have been the wrong word i think that's a great catch and correction this this is one of those things where like You know, unless you know what you can do, we're always scared to overperform. We're always scared to do too much. So even like, if the person's obviously not trying to harm you, or they're not a predator, or they haven't trained in this, right? I think the initial reaction is always going to be like, just test. And that's why when you learn as a kid, it's easier to figure out. When you learn as an adult, it's harder. And right, it's just, this is why when we talk about like self-defense law, a lot of people are super worried about getting in trouble with the law. And the general question we ask is, like, do you want to kill anybody? And if their answer is no, well, like, good. Do you want to hurt somebody more than you right. have to? Well, people say no. Well, if you don't want to kill anybody, you don't want to hurt somebody more than you have to, you're probably going to be okay in a self defense case because you didn't, if you don't punish, you don't go forward. This is the instinct, right? Is most people want to use the minimum amount of force necessary. They don't want to have this hero moment. So when they do have to get that next level, they don't give themselves the permission to go full force because they don't know what full force looks like, right? And that's where the bad guy, if they have that combat experience, combat experience might be high, but like fight experience. exposure.
1: exposure,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's where they're, yeah, they're going to win. So great example, the first time I ever fought ever, ever in real life. Outside like school fights and stuff. I was at a bar, fat old, fat old biker, stunk. So I say old, I think he's, I think he's, I think he was younger then than I am now, but at that time he was old to me. And I threw a punch, and I literally did the stop hit from training. And I looked at him and just the wolfish smile that went up on his face. He's like, oh, I'm gonna kick the crap out of this guy, right? And he did really badly. So it's one of those things where like, you have to know like what your effect is. And this is why training is so beneficial at any level. If you learn how to break a pine board, as silly as it might sound, for a lot of people, that's a huge uh, confidence jump with them knowing they can actually break something, right? So things they used to make fun of like, uh, you know, oh, you do a a course at a school and you break a board. I'm like, that's stupid. It doesn't do anything. But I guarantee if you ask people about self-defense, the first thing they'll say is, I took a class in high school. I got to break a board, right? That's what they're going to say. They're not going to talk about anything else. They're going to remember that moment where they were like, Oh my goodness! I am powerful, and there's something to be said about that. Yeah, well.
1: agreed, agreed. This has been an incredible discussion, Randy. I love it, man. Uh, we covered uh, a lot of uh, yeah. We covered a lot of information. I mean, probably write a couple books, a couple of your next books, just on these <laughs> topics here. But you know, it's uh, it's always interesting to really you know really take a moment and reflect on. You know, you have a martial arts space and you have a self-defense space and there is an overlap, but the two are not the same. And I think you and I both agree on this. Uh, You know, uh, I've I recognize that and I've stepped into the personal protection space and the safety space and, you know, working with SARS and and doing things that specifically in safety, but also recognizing that my traditional martial arts, it's its own thing back there. And I love those those four different categories that you broke them down into and it sounds like to me like you're kind of like i'm glass full half full your glass half empty it's like we're kind of the same glass where your world is right. Right in the self-defense and personal protection and, and risk mitigation and things yeah. like that but you also yeah. step into the martial arts space for the fitness for yeah. those one of those four and that's beautiful and it's great to have that conversation uh w- w-
0: there is no there is no reality-based instructor out there that does not have a gi in their closet. Yeah, agreed. There is so like to separate them into set. It doesn't make any yeah. sense, right? They still have their strategic, traditional, time capsule background. We all started at the same place, right? It's not always you didn't get born with commando pants and a skull yeah. T-shirt, right? Like you, you, you went somewhere. Yeah, through just there. like you said, it comes down to making
1: sure that you have those goals and then having the awareness to, to to be able to find the instructor and the leadership that's going to get you to yeah. that goal rather than yeah. veer you off the path of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Exactly.
0: Yeah man. That's what my book is literally gonna be about. The final part of it is how to find training like this and it's going to list questions to ask, red flags to look for, goal set things, just so people can find it because the amount of people that came through my space that were like, oh, every time we train with you, this is what we wanted to do in yeah. the first place. Self-selecting crowd, because the place was called self-defense, so this isn't because my system's better. It's just I knew what they were trying to accomplish, and that's what we were accomplishing in my space. If you were coming to be MMA champ, you shouldn't train with me. If you are coming to uh, learn how to, have, like, Bruce Lee's Jeet Kwon right? There's concepts, and then there's, like, the traditional do you want to fight like Bruce Lee or do you want to learn how to fight the way Bruce Lee learned how to fight? Those are different things. And that's what started my path on understanding your goal. And one more time for the listeners out there, your goal can just be self-improvement. That is okay. That is just not what I teach, or that is just not what I talk about.
1: Awesome. Randy, 8020 conflict management strategies. Listeners, you guys can find His Randy name. at randykinglive.com. He's got a new podcast coming up called Self Defense yep. from All Angles. Is there? Uh, and then we have the book coming up too, like you were just saying. And Randy, I hope we're going to be able to uh, have you on to support that book launch and be present for you for you know showing up here at the Close oh, Quarter please. Dad. We want to be able to make sure that we support this new project that you're doing.
0: Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Self Defense All Angles should be coming out. So the way you're speaking is we're past the summit. Yep. So self central Angle should be out yep. now because we're recording in this time. That's right. So uh, that's good. And then, yeah, look for the book. And, yeah, social media will have everything. So follow me on all the social Instagram.
1: Awesome. We'll have all those links down below. Randy, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your time and all the experience you bring to our listeners here at Close Quarter Dad. Thank you. I want to thank you for spending time with us on this episode today. It's truly appreciated. I hope you got some value from it. If you want to go ahead and leave any comments or questions, reach out to me directly. I personally answer all of the questions that you have. If you know someone like yourself who may find value in this episode, then please go ahead and share it. We'd also like to ask you to subscribe to Close Quarter Dad. This way you get updated every time a new episode comes out wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you on the next episode of Close Quarter Dad.